Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like this pod, rate, review, subscribe, smash that subscribe button, tell 10, 15, 20 people that you love Lamestream Sports. We think there's a very important conversation on the show today for you guys with John Glennon, uh, Sports Illustrated. He's been with The Athletic. He's been with Broadway Sports Media. He's been with the Tennessean. He's been covering national sports teams and the Titans and the Preds for a very long time. And a lot of insight into access with to NFL players and what that has done to content and the future of covering the Titans, covering Mike Vrabel. A lot of really great stuff with John. Thoughtful guy, smart guy, uh, very nice guy. A lot of good things uh, to say about John Glennon, and he had a lot of interesting things to say about covering the Tennessee Titans. So we'll get to that coming up in just a few minutes here. We'll have uh, recommendations, just recommendations. We're running a, a different offense today. Recommendations after the interview. We're going to have a ratings conversation about the Tennessee Titans-Bengals game here locally, also nationally, and what it tells us about why and how national media companies view the Tennessee Titans brand and the fan base. So we'll get to that in just a second here before the conversation with John. However, Steve, before we do any of that, Lamestream Sports is brought to you by Jasper's, home of free parking, great food, good deals, and the next evolution of the sports bar. That is, in fact, all true. I can confirm. I don't need access to the locker room to confirm all of that stuff. That is exactly right. Go to Jasper's, everybody. It is a great place to watch the game. The Preds are very good, so go check it out. Great happy hour specials for Preds games. The menu is spectacular. I bought some cheesecake home for the kids the other day. Tremendous. They loved it. Huge dad points for bringing home the uh, the, the the raspberry cheesecake for the daughters. Uh, so there you go. Just pop in that grab-and-go market. If you want a, a little something for the family on your way home, uh, there you go. Jasper's is your place to go. So we'll get to John Glennon here in, in just a few minutes. Long conversation with him. On the show, but I thought we would present some data for you folks, you Titans fans out there, about just how big of a game this was with the Bengals, how well it drew in Nashville, how well it drew nationally, and maybe paint the picture for folks out there as to why maybe the Tennessee Titans brand doesn't always get the love, quote unquote, that it wants from the national media. Um, all right, first up, locally, the Tennessee Titans and Bengals game pulled a 35.7. That was well below the number I projected last week. Um, so you win the bet. You get the bottle of bourbon. Neither one of us is drinking. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's also the lowest rated playoff game of the Mike Vrabel era. Um, the Baltimore Ravens lost in last season in 2020. The home wildcard game pulled a 36.8. So slightly better last year than this year. The win over New England in 2019 pulled a 39.7. The win over Baltimore and Lamar Jackson en route to the AFC Championship game in 2019 pulled a 42.3. So that's a good 20% higher in that divisional round game than this past weekend against the Bengals. And then against Kansas City with a chance to go to the Super Bowl, of course, a 46, which is a 11-point increase. That's 120,000 more homes in Nashville watching that game. Than and that makes sense. I mean, that was that was a you're, you're four quarters away from the Super Bowl. So what what just first thoughts here, Steve, what do you make of, of those five games? The look at Mike Vrabel, are people is that run to this to the AFC championship game? Just a new thing that people didn't expect because these last two teams have been division champs. And this one was the one seed and it was the lowest watched game. And it was a close game with Derrick Henry's return. And it was the lowest watched game of the five. I thought that was surprising. I mean, I, I guess it's not surprising that that here in the middle of a, a run of really good teams that fans are fans are used to it is part of it. I mean, this this number still I mean, it's still a big number. 
that's still 20% higher than their best than their best regular season game. So, so a lot of people, a lot more people are tuning in. It's just, it didn't have that extra sort of, you know, whipped cream and cherry on top. I mean, like the Baltimore game, for example, but it's a, it's still a, it's still a big number. It, I just think Titans fans are, are, are still a little bit show me. And if they had gotten to this next round, I think that that round, I mean, that number would have built somewhat down the stretch. They were, a little shaky without without Derrick Henry, and you know I think that tempered expectations. And if you don't have sky high expectations, despite being a one seed, I, I, I think that that's going to take the, the the very top off of the see you know, I, off of the menu. I disagree with that last point about expectations. I think the city was totally buzzing. Like I think it was. I, I think it was. I think it was, it was super hyped up for that game. I I am sh- I am honestly shocked. With all the extra stuff happening, one C divisional round, one win from the AFC Championship, hosting the AFC Championship, Derrick Henry's return, three years of building to this point where they feel like they're a Super Bowl contender. I, I am, I'm honestly a little surprised. I think, and I'll let you kind of make this point because you did it before the show, but maybe because Nashville's so small, actual attendance yeah, of the I game mean, hurts the number. If you take fifty thousand people out of the Titans market watching games, if this had been a road game. You know, and those people were home watching. That number would have been higher. I mean, like, for instance, the Baltimore game. I mean, it's still not as high as it as it could have been. But you know that you take those fifty, sixty, seventy thousand people out in New York or L.A. or Chicago. That's a rounding error in those markets. And so, you know, being in a being in a smaller market does hurt. It does hurt the rating on a home game like that. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Here was the rating in Kansas City for their home game. 55.3. No no problem there. Uh, no problem there. Uh, the share of the Kansas City, and for those that don't know that much about share, this is an absurd thing to hear. The share of the Kansas City Buffalo game in Kansas City pulled an 85, which means 85% of every television in the market that was on at the time of that game was watching the Bills Chiefs game. It peaked at a 90 share during that last quarter hour uh, just that is an absurd during that last number. 13 seconds, um, absurd number, like just that is literally everybody who will watch a Chiefs game. <laughs> yes, I mean, that's minus the 10% that you're never, ever going to get. That one didn't have a problem being in the home market. Um, it was the most watched divisional playoff game in the NFL in five years. It was the most watched single television program on any channel since the Super Bowl. Um, so a lot of just, again, a lot of uh, cool stuff there with the Kansas city game here was a number for the Titans that I thought was interesting. And I looked at every single, because Kansas city and Buffalo are the number one and number two markets in the NFL, meaning they pull the highest numbers in their market of any teams in the NFL. So their command of market, the Titans pull about a 26 on average, as we talked about all season, that is 13th in the NFL, which means the Titans are. An, a, a, an upper half team when it comes to how much do they dominate their home market? I, I find that to be an interesting number. It means they're kind of punching above their weight relative to the rest of the league. I still th- think that number could be higher. That number, they, they, I think they could, they could definitely be in the top 10 as evidenced of as evidenced by Buffalo and Kansas city. Smaller market teams are always going to have an advantage in that because you're not going to have the yes. spread that you have in a, in a Chicago or New York or LA. Uh, or even 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 someplace like Philly, which is just, or Houston, which is which is just massive sprawls of a market. You have a chance to dominate your market. I mean, it seems like they could be higher. 
Yeah, I, I think it's a, either way. I think it's a good number, and it shows the strength of the NFL and the Titans brand in Middle Tennessee. It does not tell the story about how many people outside of Tennessee care about the Titans. And for example, the Rams in LA have like a nine. They pull like a nine, but that nine in LA is way bigger than a twenty-six in Nashville. Just right. And think think the number of people here. Here, here was the other thing to, to pay attention to for Titans fans and why perhaps the national media and we've talked about this young fan base smaller market uh, Buffalo Kansas City nationally 43 million viewers Rams Bucks nationally 38 million viewers uh, Niners Packers 37 million viewers Bengals Titans 30.8 million viewers so by far yeah. the least watched game of the four across the country and I think that's a three o'clock, three thirty kickoff on a Saturday. That's a tougher time slot, but it's also Bengals Titans, and the Titans are just not the same thing as Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, or or the Packers and Rodgers, or the Bucks and Brady. And they're and they're not the Bengals don't bring much to the to that to that table either. I mean, they're they're the shiny new thing, and I think I think I think hardcore football fans are really excited about Joe Burrow, but. They they they're not bringing a ton of they're not bringing a ton of fans into that into that number. If this had been them playing Buffalo or KC, that number would have been much bigger. Well, and we'll see what that looks like this weekend in the I, AFC Championship I, game. Th- there's something else really kind of interesting too here, which is that this whole weekend reinforces exactly how much more valuable the NFL is than anything else that's on television. <laughs> they were getting they're getting so much higher ad rates right now. Fox's Thursday night football this year got like $635,000 for a, for a 30 second ad. That is, that is more than uh, that's more than double anything else in the, in the, in the Nielsen ratings. Like take the, take the Nielsen top 10, the Nielsen top 10 is like NCIS and young Sheldon and, and stuff like that. And then you have stuff that's really high in the demo, like more younger people watch. This is us, which is NBC's big, big primetime thing. This is us sells the most, you know, this is us commands like $300,000 for a 30 second ad. That's less than half of a Thursday night Fox primetime NBC NBC for Sunday night is getting like $850,000 for a 30 second ad. It just shows you the power of live sports to drive everything. You know, we talked about this last week or the week before, just like the number of highly rated, uh, highly rated show. Of, of, if you look at the top 100, like 91 of them are, yep. are, are, are NFL games. That is, that is the future going forward for live television. It is live sports. It will, uh, and it is why they're going to continue to be billions of dollars attached to it. And it's why you have people like Amazon sniffing around for like the Thursday night package. And it's why you have different players wanting to get in on the NFL, because it is the only sure thing. We're sitting here talking about the margins of uh, of Titans fan uh, fandom here, but most of Nashville is, is watching this yeah, game, yeah. And, and 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 that's true of every NFL market. And you know, you put thirty two of them together, and all of a sudden you have a powerhouse lineup. Yeah, it's not even the future, man. It's 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 the present, and has been the present for the last decade or yep. so. Yep. Um, and it's not going anywhere. And all you got to ask yourself in media is who has the stacks of cash. Silicon Valley and gambling companies. Those are the two with these stacks of cash sitting in the basement. And the most expensive thing on the market, football broadcasting rights. So that that is, you're going to see the money and the product eventually come together at some point. So that's going to happen. By the way, if you did listen to the end of last week's episode, 
I was one stinking drive from Ryan Tannehill and the Titans away from being almost dead on with what was going to happen in that game. You know, I, I texted I, I texted you like too I, early. I texted, it's your fault that they lost. I know, I know. I mean, when when they get when they had the ball back and and I texted you and I was just like, man, you're looking like a you're looking like a fucking prophet here on your prediction. <laughs> Cue turnover. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was literally it was literally like thirty seconds away from 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 turning the ball over. Titans fans, if you'd like to find someone to blame, not named Todd Downing or Ryan Tannehill, his name is Steve Cavendish at S Cavendish on Twitter. It's all my fault. It's all my fault. (laughs) Now, that's how you bring it full circle right there. Uh, All right, we'll do some ratings a little bit later on, but this is an important conversation with John Glennon. We feel like people need to hear what it was like to cover the NFL this year, what it was like to cover the end of the season, to be around Mike Vrabel, and to try to write good stories for people without a whole lot of access to the storytellers. So here was our conversation with Sports Illustrated's John Glennon. John, great to see you, man. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us a few minutes of your time today. We appreciate it. How are you? Doing well. How are you guys? Doing well. So before we get to your career and how it's evolved and the future of covering the NFL and all these awesome topics we want to have you on to, to discuss today. Um, just real quickly, as the Titans wrapped up their season, they have a clean out day with exit interviews with the team and the coaching staff. Normally, you can tell us what that looks like normally, but were, was the press, was the media, did the Titans say anything about why A.J. Brown was the only offensive player available to the press on clean out, you know, locker clean out day uh, this week after the game? No, nothing specific uh, mentioned to us as why, you know, there was no Ryan Tannehill, there was no Julio Jones, there was no Derrick Henry, no Taylor Lewan, any of the the regulars uh, besides A.J. Brown that we would talk to, um, you know, and, and again, uh, as, as I, you know, mentioned as we talked sort of off the air a minute ago, uh, that's the disappointing thing that we're dealing with now without locker room access, you know, when we have locker room access, it's up to us who we can talk to, you know, we have an open locker room on those kind of days when it's not an open locker room, it's up to the team who is, uh, who is made available. And unfortunately, you know, we, we didn't get the offensive, the, the number of offensive spokesmen that we would have liked to have had. Tell people what clean out day is and typically how it goes. Yeah. Clean out day is, is uh, as, as you might guess by the name, you know, it's, it's literally the last day really that you're going to see, players and coaches and until you know OTAs in in most cases unless there's a significant announcement um you know involving a player maybe like a big new contract or something like that so that's the, that's the day that you're going to get information uh storylines you know for hopefully for for weeks to come you want to try and load up on that last day you want to get any lasting impressions that that maybe players have had throughout the whole season or, or, you know, maybe after the playoffs things that maybe they weren't going to share until the season came to an end. Uh, and, and again, that's why, you know, we, we were very pleased to see guys like Kevin Byard and, and Jeffrey Simmons and, uh, and some of the defensive leaders, David Long uh, was out there as well. Some of those guys step up and say, okay, we're going to be made available. Even though we just talked a couple of days ago after the game, and, and uh, you know, we didn't see that from some of the leaders on the offensive side. And that's, you know, especially from a guy like like Ryan Tannehill, uh, you know, who had his struggles this year. You'd like to get some final impressions. Derrick Henry, same sort of thing. Some final impressions going into the offseason and certainly Julio Jones uh, as well. So a little little disappointing, uh, you know, that 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 was 
you know, our, our last impression was really no impression uh, on Monday. In, in my mind, because because COVID protocols and they're providing players to you, in my mind, that's a failure on the Titans' part to make those folks accessible to you. Is that is that fair or unfair? Is that a fair or unfair way of, of looking at it? You know, it's, it's probably, uh, you know, a blame goes to, to both the Titans and to the players in that situation. I think the Titans, you know, if they didn't do everything they could to get those leaders out there, then certainly the blame lies with them. On the other hand, you know, if they're saying, hey, Taylor, hey, Ryan, hey, Julio, can you get out there? And those guys are saying, no, the heck with that. I don't want to talk to the media again. I'm out of here. Well, you know, we don't know exactly what happened. And, and uh, you know, the Titans can't put them in handcuffs and bring them out to the podium either. So we don't know for certain. But, you know, the, the bottom line is uh, if, they, if they did attempt to get those guys out there, and I certainly hope that they did, uh, they weren't successful in doing so. Man, uh, talk about some millennial behavior. We're going to pay you $38 million a year and can't get you to – answer a few questions. No, I kid, I kid. How, how difficult is it for the entire media collective, all of you guys that are out there writing these stories, how can you do, we, we are in the process of an autopsy. We're exhuming the Titan's body as we speak, trying to solve the problems and look into the future with all these different potential, you know, machinations of what could happen for this team moving forward. How can you do your job without being able to talk to some of the critical pieces over the next three months? Like, how can you, how can you do that? It's a, it's a difficult, a challenging task, and, and it really, you know, it, it's similar to what was going on uh, during the season, you know, for the past two seasons because of COVID, where the locker room has been shut down. You know, uh, again, before it was a case of we walk into the locker room, we look around and say, this is a guy that, that my readers want to know more about. This is what the fans want to know about from a guy who's who's playing very well or who's struggling. It, it's the the that we make, you know, for our readers, for our listeners, etc. The last two seasons, however, it's the team's choice to say, we think this player is someone you should talk to. We think this guy is, is valuable. And, and it led to some sort of awkward situations at times because, you know, from a team perspective, maybe they're bringing out a guy like, a, I'll choose one example, a David Quesenberry, for instance. Good guy, really nice guy was a you know stable force for the Titans on the offensive line this year, but not a particularly analytical or, or insightful or, or, you know, I guess entertaining, it comes to mind too, guys. So, you know, from the Titans' point of view, they say, hey, we want this guy recognized. You know, he's, he's a, a hardworking guy. He's a glue guy. You know, we're going to bring him out, you know, once every – week or once every couple of weeks until he gets recognized where from a media standpoint you're saying hey if this is supposed to simulate a locker room i guarantee you the media isn't moving into the locker room and saying every week on a regular basis hey let's go talk to david quesenberry and, and i'm just using david as as one example uh, and again dave's a good guy i i like david but again if you're trying to, to find specific storylines uh, it's a much harder job now to do uh, because you're being given the players as opposed to you picking out the players that, that you want to talk to and think are the best storylines for readers and listeners. Do you think that, do you think that it's led to an overall kind of 
homogeneity of the uh, of the coverage this year. Thank you for that. Uh, th- thank you for raising your eyebrows at that at that three dollar uh, word there. Yeah, very nice, very impressive, Steve. <laughs> um, I, I think it's led um, maybe to a to a couple things. One is the homogeneity. Very nice, um, be- and and this is the reason because you have one group of reporters. You know, there's usually say on an average practice day maybe uh, you know 10, 12, 15, whatever it is reporters, and you're lined up at the fence, and they are bringing out one player, usually at a time, sometimes two, sometimes even three. But for the most part, that media pool is getting the same story. Uh, Everyone is getting the same storyline for that day from the players. So if you want to report the storyline of the day, you're going to be just like everybody else. I think also what it leads to, and and I've talked with, with Paul Koharski about this too, is that it leads to people writing more opinion as opposed to saying, here's what player X had to say today, because you know, well, okay, player X has already been quoted in on this site and this site and on this site. He's going to be on the six o'clock news saying this, this exact same thing. So you shift gears and you say, I want to give my readers or listeners something different, something unique, something central. So you end up going with more opinion. Uh, and, and sometimes opinion, you know, uh, maybe that defeats what the Titans are, are trying to do because, you know, certainly opinion doesn't always go in favor of what the uh, the Titans want. So in that aspect, perhaps it, it works against the Titans in that in that regard. Well, and I think that disadvantages guys like you, too, who have been more straight or feature reporters throughout their entire career, as opposed to, you know, as opposed to having as opposed to being a columnist or being being a personality, somebody that is, that is paid to have an opinion. Uh, you know, that, that trend automatically disadvantages straight reporting. It, it, it does. And, and also, yeah, the, the absence of being able to create relationships, uh, you know, uh, trust with players in the locker room, when you see guys on a daily basis, when you're not just, you know, 10 feet away uh, every day, once every week or once every two weeks, you know, you, you get to talk to players. It's not necessarily you're asking them questions on the record about foot. You're, you're just kind of shooting the breeze with them sometimes and you develop a trust, a rapport. And at some point, you know, if you if you discover there's a, a good storyline with them, uh, they understand that, that you're a good guy, hopefully, uh, and, and that they're willing to talk, uh, you know, about that storyline. And, and you, you, you come across pieces of information and, and pieces that make for a good feature, as, as you mentioned, Steve, um, and you just don't get as much of that, you know, again, when you're, when you're one big media pool talking to uh, one player or two at, at 10 feet away. And, and I know, you know, it's not as if uh, we should be clear to say, it's not as if the Titans are doing this, that they're the only team obviously doing this. COVID is what has started this the, the last two seasons. And really the question now is, as we hopefully see COVID start just to fade, hopefully, you know, will we ever get back into the locker rooms as media and try to develop those relationships that result in the big features or does the nfl say we kind of like this this distance and and we're going to keep those locker rooms just as closed as they have been i'm sure they do yeah we'll, <laughs> we'll get well, to we'll get to sort of the future re- relationship and what we think is going to happen i, I do want to sort of pause a moment on the because it's not just making it difficult for you guys to build relationships it's it's difficult barrier for entry who for anyone who's joining the beat 
Yeah. And we, we've talked a lot about this. Like if you're you or Paul or Jim Wyatt, who has two decades of sourcing and relationships, you can fall back upon that. You guys are also ahead of the game in terms of anyone new that's coming to the market, whether it's the Tennessean or digital or radio or whatever, there's really almost no way without that access, like the barrier to entry to become a good reporter is now significantly higher, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you take a guy like uh, like Ben Arthur from the the Tennessean who, who's just started this year, and, and I think he's a you know he's a he's a good hard worker, and and I've I've been impressed by what I've seen from from Ben so far. But you know, very difficult for a guy who is just starting out like that to develop a relationship with players when all you're doing is seeing them once a week, you know, with, with 12 other media uh, around you, you know, uh, I can at least fall back. And, and as you mentioned, you know, guys like Paul and him, if we've been there a few years, at least we know, you know, the, the Kevin Byard, uh, you know, the, the Taylor Lewans, uh, we have a little bit of recognition and, and relationships with those guys, you know, where maybe we can ask a question that the, bring something out but you know for the most part for and, and this goes for the for you know for older guys in the last couple of years too that the newer players that come on we have no you know real rapport with them past being 10 10 feet away um so yeah it becomes everything becomes a little bit more sterile and again maybe that's what the nfl wants is is sterile and and vanilla and and no you know, surprises, I, I guess you could say, but I, I think it, it takes away from the ability to write intriguing, entertaining features, telling people something about players that they didn't know that you have learned from developing those relationships, you know, over the years. So, so Julio Jones was, was the, the highest profile uh, free agent acquisition this, this past year. Uh, what technically, what was, but, but you're the new, new, Right, right, right. Sorry, right, yeah. by, by trade. Um, uh, Julio comes in. He's a he's a big. Uh, he's a he's had a lot of success in the league. Do you, do you have some sort of strategy for trying to write about him or trying to? Like, how did you approach that throughout the year? Or did you at some point did you just kind of throw up your hands and say, "Well, I, I've only got this amount to work with." Yeah, well, well, I think you know certainly in the in the beginning, you know, you you have to maybe if if you're looking for unique angles, you have to go into the into the background. Now you have to go, okay, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to get a ton necessarily from Julio because he's rarely you know being brought out to the media, especially in the early going. Um, so now maybe I have to go back and, and talk to his, you know, whether I can try and get his former assistant coaches from Atlanta, whether I can get a former teammate, uh, from Atlanta, something, somebody who's not directly involved with the Titans who feels a little freer, uh, to, to speak about Julio Jones. So that's, that's one angle you take, I think, to try to connect, uh, from that. But after a while, as I say, especially early on, you know, in, in training camp, when, when he was very rarely brought out. Uh, you know, because he had been injured so early. I mean, it, it's just difficult to, to get a read on, on guys and, and that makes it more difficult. So you end up going more outside, I would say, you know, as I say, either you're going into his past or you're, you're talking to maybe other national analysts who have a better relationship with Julio from the past years and trying to get their viewpoints on things. 
And, and Mike Vrabel is so routinely open about players with injuries. It probably was a joy to, to cover Julio Jones this year. Um, I, I want to get to Vrabel in just a second, but let's, and again, the Titans are sort of, for this conversation, they're the cutout of every sports team really in, in the country dealing with, with the pandemic and the virtual world and the Zoom. And we've talked a lot about it on the show. I want you, you you've got an audience with John Robinson or Roger Goodell or whoever, and, and they put you in charge of making the case to return to more access. What is the case you would make that could benefit? Because we know the benefit to the fans and to the reporters, but make the case to the NFL, like pretend we're the NFL and the audience is the NFL. What is the case for more access? The case, uh, you know, from a media standpoint, is that that's what you're that's what you're saying? Yeah, for, from a media standpoint, it's as I say, uh, you know, and and what we're trying to do as as media, hopefully, this is what the, the majority of us are trying to do anyway. In, in my kind of position, is find things, find information or storylines that we think our readers, our listeners will enjoy. That that is important. Uh, to our readers and listeners. And the more access we get to players, and again, it's never going to be like we're, we're in a locker room for three hours or anything like that. You know, usually it's, you know, 45 minutes is what it had been, I think, at the end of practices or 30 minutes, something along those lines. So it's not like we're, we're bothering, you know, these guys 24-7 or anything like that. But the more time that we spend around them, the more stories we can relate to the public, the more they get to know uh, you know, these players, what what makes them tick, what makes them interesting, and and again, how they respond to what we feel are, are important storylines on them as well. So I think it's a matter of, of, you know, as I say, bringing alive personalities in, instead of just kind of a sterile, we got to get better every day, we got to practice harder every day kind of, kind of comments. Um, that would be my biggest um you know, point in, in trying to open up the locker rooms again and, and bring access. So, but why, I guess I agree with that. The fans agree with that. Does the NFL, ca- does the NFL care about that? And well, I guess that's... back to your opinion part, which I find to be like one of the more interesting pitches back to the NFL to say, Hey, give us more access. Otherwise we're out here just sort of throwing shit on the wall, making right. up random opinions. And isn't that dangerous for players reputations or coaches yes. reputations or whatever? It, that that's a that's an excellent point. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, you go more towards speculation. Uh, you go toward more, you know, theoretical. You know, what I think about this situation, uh, as opposed to what so and so said uh, in, in this kind of situation. Now, if you're the NFL and you're looking at at TV ratings, you know, as as being a good judge of, of popularity, and that that seems to be a reasonable one, you're looking at ratings going boom back up, up, up again. Things going very well in that department, and you're saying, meh, you know, things are things are looking pretty good for us. You know, we're getting great TV you. contracts. Uh, yeah, great, great money from from that. You know, I, I think always. Well, I won't say always, but almost always. You know, a business, or and in this instance, the NFL is going to look bottom line and say, what, "What's the money say?" And and if if the money, if it if it's not hurting the NFL from a money standpoint, that you know maybe there aren't more entertaining stories written, that that maybe there's more speculation about players now instead of actual facts uh, that are that are written. Uh, you know, that does not seem to be bothering them as long as the bottom line still keeps coming through. So that's what's a little bit, uh, you know, anxiety provoking, I, I would say, for, for media in this position is that I don't think it's the NFL's top concern 
uh, right now. Lamestream Sports, Steve Cavendish of the Nashville Banner, is brought to you by Jaspers. Oh, that was a good one. That was a good one. It only cut out for like a second or two. That was good. That was good. Go to Jaspers. The parking is free. The menu is awesome. The the happy hours and the TVs are great. (laughs) These are the adjectives that Steve has in the in the old uh, wordsmith bag of tricks. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Um, So the menu. Let's talk about the menu for a second. The menu will be changing soon. So if there are some items on said menu that you enjoy. Like, uh, for example, I love the shrimp and goodies. It's one of my favorite menu items. Go into Jasper's over the next couple of weeks. Make sure you try some stuff because some of those menu items will be going away. This is that, like a this this is like the worst hostage game ever. But also, that means you can... Your favorites some, could be dying, folks. <laughs> try some stuff now. Eat now or else. Yes, exactly. Go try it now. And then also look forward to the brand new Dev Paquette creations that are coming. Get excited about the new the next evolution of the sports bar menu. I'm always excited. I'm always excited to, to see Deb in the lab cooking up something delicious. It's predator season now officially. <laughs> and so, you know, go in, check out the best deal in town, which is during predators games, $3 beers, $10 smash burgers. It is a, it is a fantastic deal. It, it's on during every predators game. It's a great place to go in and watch and watch the game, watch the team, enjoy a beverage, enjoy enjoy just a hell of a, just a hell of a good burger go to Jasper's this is the period of time in the calendar year where we sort of onboard all the the hockey fans like all the football people become hockey people but here's my question with Nashville SC opening training camp right now literally as we speak can we not say it's also soccer season too like is that also shouldn't we mention that as well well it's soccer season in the sense that the world cup qualifiers here in in January January February and March are, are going to provide multiple viewing opportunities here for for fans uh, if you're i think it's like a like a two like a sunday at, at, at two o'clock game for the u.s canada game uh wednesday next, at 6 30 yes against honduras against honduras you know if that's your thing go to jaspers it's fantastic i, ju- I just think clearly hockey is further along in the market than than soccer there's no question but soccer is going to gain steam quickly and again around february every year it's when it becomes hockey season, but I think it also needs to become soccer season. And if you want to watch any of those matches or any of those hockey games, Jasper's is the place to do it. So just want to let people know that it's also soccer season. That's all. I know you're a huge soccer guy. So go to Jasper's. I'm a huge really, fan of Jasper's. Really verbose here, Steve. Go, yeah. Thanks for all the words <laughs> and all the adjectives. Go you're to welcome. Jasper's. It's great. I'm going to ask you uh, about two sort of momentum questions in covering a team that's that's hot. So the the Titans hat Titans are the, are the one seed in the AFC. There's a lot of buzz around town. Uh, you, you know, you're starting to see Tennessee strong signs up everywhere, and you're starting to see, you know, that that extra week, uh, uh, the extra week buy gave them a little bit more marketing push. I mean, I, we you know we. We haven't seen the rating numbers yet, but I'm I'm sure they're going to be, I'm sure they're going to be pretty huge. The, that's a fun thing to cover. Yeah, I mean it, it's a lot of fun. So talk about. So let me ask you about what's it like to cover something with all of that momentum, and you know everybody's re- like hanging on every word. 
and the and then the the flip side of that, which is, man, it is hard to get people to read the autopsy. It is hard to get people to to look at something that like as a fan, like the pain of that loss is they just don't want to read anything whatsoever. How do you, how do you, how do you approach that? And how do you get, you know, how do you do stuff that is interesting to fans in the wake of what is a very painful loss? Yeah. Well, well, I, I think, you know, over the years, it, it's, uh, it seems to me that, that fans and, and readers and, and listeners are, are much more interested uh, you know, especially after a painful loss like this, not so much, you know, there, there's dwelling on it for for a day or two, but immediately there is a is an idea that okay, we want solutions. How is this going to change? How are we going to get better moving forward? What and, is Ryan? What is Ryan Tannehill's cap uh, salary cap context? Yes, yes, <laughs> right, exactly. And and um, and immediately, you know, I, I found in in stories that you know that that do especially well, you know, right after losses like this are quick immediate look ahead as you said salary cap questions who's coming back who might get cut uh and and even looking as far you know we, we all joke about it too but there's no real draft off season either you know as soon as that last game is played well what do you think about that first round you know you think they go wide receiver in, in, in the first round so more, uh, more people more people and more people in the last 24 hours have asked me what the average pick at 26 is yeah. When I don't think they knew, I don't think they they could have named a a twenty sixth pick ever before. Yeah, you, you're exactly right. So yeah, I, I think, uh, but but to me also, I'll, I'll say this: um, in in terms of getting attention um, on a team, you know, for readers, for listeners, or whatever, it, it does help when that when the team A is is really good, or uh, you know, the the flip side too, if you've got a team that's very bad. There's there's there can be a lot of interest there because especially in the NFL, as we talked about, you're, you're immediately thinking high draft picks. This is how we're going to change this this entire team. You know, if we're going to be bad, you know, we're really bad. And this is how we're going to flip everything. So there's you know, there's a big look ahead that way. I think that, you know, some of the, the more difficult times as, as being a writer and getting people to pay attention when you're in the middle of the road, you know, and you've got those the old seven, Jeff Fisher eight and eight. Yeah, that's right. The seven and nine, eight and eight teams where you're kind of good, kind of not good, and and there's not a whole lot of potential. But at the other hand, on the other hand, you don't have that number one or number two draft pick staring you in the face either. And and the fans are kind of like, meh, you know, show me something I should get excited about. And and you don't necessarily have that that snap answer in, in those situations. Here's your headline. Um, how far up do the Titans have to trade to draft a QB question mark? There's your, there's your headline for, for like the next story every single week from now on until the next three months, the next three months. Yeah, exactly. My Mike Vrabel. Um, he is a fascinating dude to interact with. He has his moments of snark and sort of sarcasm. He's certainly a, a thoughtful and introspective guy at times when you can get it out of him. Um, it's just, yeah. it's, it's very difficult to get it out of him. It seems like, so what, what, how has Mike Vrabel been to interact with and how has he changed since his first press conference until his exit interview on Monday? I would say that we haven't seen a lot of change necessarily in Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel is an interesting guy to, to me because you know, so much about him, you want to say, oh, this guy's just, you know, one of those old school football 
I don't know, meathead kind of kind of thing. You know, he's he's a guy who's lived football his his whole life. His dad was the coach. He's played. He's coached his whole career. And you're tempted to say, you know, this is a just another football guy, another bang your head into the wall, you know, tough guy. I don't think Mike Vrabel is is entirely that guy. I think he's a very uh, bright guy, you know, and I think he's proven he's he's very good at, at relating to his players uh, as well. So it goes a little bit deeper than than Mike Vrabel than just being a kind of a hard headed uh, football guy. But as we have seen, he he does not he is not a man prone to, to sharing uh, details, whether that's injury or uh, you know details about how well player a or b played or didn't play he tends to keep those things to himself you know he played we all know he played years and years under under bill belichick and and i'm sure is living by that that code as well so he's a is a tough nut to crack uh in in that regard you know what what he usually likes a, a lot um is is that you know he likes to look ahead uh, as probably most coaches do, but you know he doesn't like to spend time, even whether it's a day or two after a game. He doesn't want to rehash. He's on, you know, in in uh, in, in Bill Belichick fashion. He's he's on to the next game right away. So you have to work with him, and and you know you have to give him what he is looking for, you know, from time to time, and and hope that that he in return will will give you a, a little bit of uh, of detail from time to time, and and it can be a mood situation too you know i i had my own uh, uh lively moment with with my frable this year um I, while i was uh, um you know guilty of asking a zach cunningham question uh a, a third time when he had previously said that he was not interested in talking about zach cunningham who they had just signed uh the other day he was not interested in talking to him a little bit more so from my standpoint it was, you know, I shouldn't have gone there. I shouldn't have, I should have read the room better. So what I should do from his standpoint, I thought it was certainly an, an overreaction on his part to kind of spin away from the podium and say, you know, the heck with this in so many words. Um, and, and, you know, again, it, it was no, you know, I, I hardly think it was a crazy route for me to, to go in terms of wanting to know about a, a, a player, an excellent player who was going to be, Added, who was added to the to the Titans? You know, it's hardly uh, a ridiculous uh, question to ask. Perhaps too many times. No, no one has ended a Titans press conference faster this season than John Glennon. <laughs> <laughs> it was is- it was very interesting because I I literally you know people thought that I had been trying to you know poke the bear and and get under Brable's skin. I really had not. I in fact I was. I thought so really. So uh, it was such a casual question. I was actually kind of looking at my phone as I asked it, you know, cause you're always trying to text, uh, you know, other answers that he has just said. And, and uh, so I was trying to do that. And my head, my head was down and I said, you know, Hey, can you maybe at least just give us something on, on the skill set of, of Zach Cunningham. And literally by the time I brought my head up, from from the phone, from what I've been doing, he had already made the spin and was about five feet away from the from the locker room. So, yeah, that was uh, the memorable day. Not not in such a good way. You 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 came in uh, during the Fisher era. Uh, rank the rank the Titans head coaches in terms of sort of accessibility and and delivering d- d- delivering to like to the media and they're like re- their openness to answering questions. Um, let's see, you know, I, I think Jeff Fisher, uh, I would say excellent and efficient 
also. You know, he wasn't necessarily the kind that was going to be too uh, verbose, too talkative, but he understood very well um, what you were trying to do as media, what the information was that you're looking for. And, uh, you know, he knew how to, to play that game. Now, was, was he also, you know, kind of bringing a spin probably to, to a lot of his answers? Yeah, I'm sure, as, as most coaches do. But nonetheless, I think the relationships that, that Jeff Fisher had with, with the media and his ability to relate to the media and, and uh, give them uh, quality answers, I, I think, really uh, helped him in, in this market, you know, as, as they were getting started. Uh, and then I, you know, I, I think of, of some of the other guys. Um, one of the more difficult guys uh, to deal with, I thought, was Ken Wisenhunt. Um, no. You know, and maybe was because, what's that? No. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm I know that's shocked a by that answer. <laughs> yeah. He, um, I, and maybe it was because, you know, he had been a coach that had been uh, uh, burned before, maybe, you know, fired before, obviously, and, and didn't want to go down the same path. But, uh, you know, I, I, I it was just challenging to me. There was, there was a little bit of a moodiness to the guy that you just didn't know, you know, like, like Mike Brable, for instance, you, you pretty know much know what you're getting into, you know, he may not be the most uh, happy guy all the time, but there's not a huge up and down where Kevin Wisenhunt, you know, sometimes was, was very, Hey, you know, we're going to be chatty today. And, and I like you guys, we're going to joke around. And, and other days, you know, perhaps if he didn't like a story that you wrote, uh, you know, you, you, there was there was very little um, to, to go on. Uh, Mike Munchak, chatty, very talking, uh, uh, very friendly. And I, I really appreciated that about Mike Munchak. The challenge was Mike Munchak was, was so talkative that sometimes you had to figure <laughs> out where in that, you know, three or four minute answer was what you really needed. And and uh, sometimes that was that was hard, you know, after you get about two minutes in and he's kind of talking on a different topic, all of a sudden he hits on your answer. And then, he, then he's off in another direction. So you had to make sure you're paying attention at that third minute of the answer. Say, ah, that, that was, that's what I was looking for. Um, malarkey. I, I liked malarkey. Um, you know, I'm not sure if, if everybody felt that way, but I thought he was very uh, honest, uh, very informative, um, you know, and, and maybe, maybe it worked to his detriment, you know, some of it, he was honest about players and, and how they were working now. He would always say, this is nothing I haven't told the players already, you know, which was good on him in, in that regard. But I, I really appreciated Mike Malarkey and, and enjoyed uh, working with him. It was a bit of a, a like a arm's length distance because, again, here's a guy who's been a head coach before and he doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't want to get too buddy buddy. Hey, that's understandable. But if you're giving me, you know, the information on, on the on the questions I'm asking, that, that's all I can ask for. Um, so I, I, I appreciated, uh, Mike Malarkey. Let me, let me ask you this. Uh, this is, this dovetails back a little bit with what talk, we're talking about in kind of locker room restrictions. Do you feel like as a, as someone who covers the team and whose job is it is to have a sense of the team that you have as good a sense of, of the team and whether it's chemistry, whether it's relationships, whether it's performance, do you, do you feel like you have that now uh, covering covering this team in 2021 and 2022 versus five years ago? No. Um, and, and that, uh, again, goes back to the uh, to the lack of, of access um, and, and to the lack of being able to build relationships, to be around players 
when they're talking with one another, um, you know, when when they're shooting the the breeze with with you, when you're when you're you know, and, and again, the, the more that they come to trust you and understand that you're not going to burn them, you know, the, the the more willing they are to to share stories. But but just being in there and kind of soaking in the environment and hearing, uh, you know, the the chatter and so forth, I think makes a big difference in trying to get, as you say, a feel. Uh, for the team and and uh, you know just a vibe um, as as to what's going on and that's that's one of the things um, that that I miss and and uh, you know I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll relate you know a, a, another story this I, I know a reporter that uh, um, you know when when things on, on the NHL front uh, you know for instance you know have have been going back and forth between Zoom and and in person and, and you know an NHL reporter was just so frustrated recently when I talked to him, he said, you know, it was, it was getting better. We were, we were at least going to be at, you know, at a podium with guys, at least we would have that. We were starting to get that. And now back to zoom for the most part too. He said, you know, I'm just kind of done with it. I'm, I'm so frustrated at, at not being able to, you know, to, to kind of form relationships and, and create and, and, you know, bring to your readers and listeners unique angles uh, you know and i think that's very frustrating for all of us in the media the reason why i ask that is because i'm, I'm i want to make a case for the flip side of it you can just tell me if this is wrong the that beat reporters in particular sports beat reporters are, are essentially access journalists and that they they rely on that access and, and they hopefully they're making the best use of that access in order to tell stories for the readers but that access can can also lead to a, a a tapering of of their opinions or it can it can it it, it can it can cloud things and I'm, and I'm just wondering if a couple of years of not having access now has has changed anything about how you how you view a team how you report and and if and if you think that that access there were parts of that access that made maybe maybe made you too close to a team. That's an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I think you can make a case that that uh, sometimes, you know, as I say, when when you do develop relationships with players, uh, um, you know, for the most part, and again, I, I hope this is the case for most of us and, and myself included. Usually, you know, when you when you get to know them a little bit more and they get to know you it's it's a it's a good thing um but can that make you at, at times say geez you know I, I i really like you know what i've gotten to know about ryan Tannehill just, just talking to him time after time in the locker room and and i know he's had this you know four interceptions in the last couple of games but man it's hard for me to, to come down hard on the guy when he's been so good talking to me i think that's that's reasonable i think that you know you you, you wrestle with that uh from time to time as a journalist and you and you wind up walking that that line of of you need to keep that arm's length because you need to be in, impartial you know you need to as much as you say okay i've talked to ryan Tannehill or, or derrick henry or or who Whatever it is, I still need to be that impartial guy that say, "Hey, Ryan Tannehill didn't get it done in the Cincinnati game," or "Or Derrick Henry doesn't look a hundred percent as well." So perhaps from from that aspect, it, it eliminates that potential, you know, of of being too close. But but again, I, I think 
also, it, you know, it leaves the media, and we sort of touched on this, but but kind of making jumps uh, or, or you know speculating on on things in terms of personalities and in terms of um, you know maybe players' uh, relationships uh, as well. Where, where there's more, I won't say guesswork. I, I hope people just aren't stabbing and guessing at things, but it's more opinion. You know, as as opposed to okay, I was in the the locker room and this guy said this to me, um, you know, than there was a couple of years ago. Uh, I mean, I think you can say guesswork. I don't, you know, we're all yeah. guessing at what you know Julio and AJ Brown and Ryan Tannehill talk about and how they work together yeah. and you know what they know about each other. We're just we're literally having to guess about that. But, but uh, I, I would it, say it's at least at least we're kind of informed right. guesswork because we still get the some access, but not as much as we you know, would have other otherwise. What, what I'm what I'm hearing through the two, the two of you talking about this sort of the amount of access we're talking about, which is, you know, in the 70s and 80s, like flying on the plane where the Coke is in the bathroom with the Mets flying back from Houston, like that's not necessarily the right amount of access. Being at the bar drunk with the player and, you know, the Skyrider tour in the SEC, like that doesn't sound like the right amount of access to your, to your point and your answer on that question. It's clearly today is not the right amount of access. So, is there a sweet spot in the last 20 years? Was it 1997 to 2005? Or, like, I'm just making up those numbers, but is there a sweet spot where the, the media and, and sports had the right amount of relationship, the right amount of access to tell the stories accurately, build up relationships, but also keep a professional objective opinion? Does that, does that question make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And, and you know, honestly, to me, and, and maybe I'm, I'm biased because it was a system that I started in and I've worked in for years, but I, I think it really was a, a pretty good environment. Again, you know, when we say locker room access, that doesn't mean we're hanging out all day, you know, dawn to dusk, uh, you know, waiting on, on players and, and saying, hey, let's go grab lunch, uh, you know, and, and let's grab dinner and that kind of thing. This is a this is a you know a, probably as I said like a 40 45 minute period uh, either before or, or after practice that that that's open aside from that you know I, I think there still is a is a, a distance involved and you know maybe when I when I first um, you know started covering uh, pro teams which you know which goes back uh, a ways uh, you know maybe things were a little different in uh and, and maybe the rise of, of social media and and the internet in general yes i covered teams before there was an internet uh, <laughs> um you know maybe that has changed that that anything now you know you're you're worried about it kind of, i i would think you're worried about it kind of exploding if you're an athlete hey if i go out to you know just grab a burger with with glennon over over here and and just shoot the breeze and you know maybe share some background stories and that kind of thing well you know what if five fans see that and and uh, put that on their their instagram and it blows up as you know player x is giving away you know company secrets to the to the media um you know i, I think they you know when when i started there was probably a more was more or intimate setting the nfl wasn't the gigantic thing that that we have now the media conglomerate was was not as big uh and and i think that was a that was a good relationship to me that that you know uh existed in that uh, everything wasn't overhyped over publicized uh and and so forth and and yet we still had uh, access as well so 
I don't know. To, to me, I, I'd be very happy going with the back to the access that we had, you know, just before COVID started. I think there's a good balance there. I don't think the athletes were too taxed by that. Um, you know, I, and I understand from an athlete's perspective, a lot of them, you know, might say, you know, I, I don't want to be involved with media in the locker room. I understand that. But there's there's things that from from my standpoint, I think come with that job, um, you know, that, that you have to deal with as well. And, and to me, you know, kind of being open. To, to us because we are kind of a conduit to the fans. I, I think that is, I think that's one of them that, that should come with it. John, most people know you as, uh, as a longtime writer at the Tennessean. How'd you get your start? Uh, in the, in the dark ages of the Tennessean? No, no, no. I mean, uh, how did, how did you get your, how'd you get your first sports writing job? Oh, my first uh, sports writing job. I, I came out of college, um, and, uh, basically looked, uh, at my resume and, and, uh, looked at myself and said, it's still not a whole lot of skills here. So, uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, uh, I'd been sports writing in college. I was the, the, you know, the sports editor uh, of our, we had a daily newspaper at the university of Virginia. I was the sports editor there. And that seemed to be the most logical angle point. And fortunately I'd made some connections, uh, got an immediate internship in, uh, in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina and just uh, built upon that, you know, worked in, in the triangle in North Carolina for a couple of years in Charlotte. And then kind of uh, oddly enough, my, my, one of my bigger breaks was going from a bigger newspaper at the Charlotte Observer to a smaller newspaper in Biloxi, Mississippi. But that gave me the opportunity to be the beat coverage guy for the New Orleans Saints. And back in the day, uh, Biloxi covered the Saints hard, you know, every day they traveled with the team as well. So I got some experience covering a pro team there. And then, you know, next move up was the, was the Tennessean. That Biloxi paper was a really good little paper. It was very good. It was, it was night. It's uh, you know, it was a night. It was an old night Ritter paper. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a huge paper by, by any means, but quality. And, and uh, that, that covered over, you know, that carried over to the saints because as they say, even though Biloxi was probably, you know, hour, hour and a half, at least from New Orleans, they covered it like like the home team. I went to, you know, practices each day of the week. I traveled, uh, you know, to, to cover games as well. So I got some great experience there. It, certainly not everything that you learned in the true sort of hardcore newspaper days will translate to, to 2022. But what do you think you learned during those days that nobody coming up today starting on the job can learn without this, the, this sort of environment that you had? Does that, if that makes sense? Yeah, and and, and the, the, a couple of things come to mind. Uh, you know, one is is back in the day. You know, when when I was a, a younger reporter, and, and newspapers were, were that much of a uh, more of a of a big deal, if you will. Uh, and and again, this is before you could work remotely. You know, you you had that sense of belonging to a group of sports writers, uh, and you saw your your veteran guys. Uh, every day working those beats that you wanted to get someday and you saw okay oh I see what this guy did he's calling so-and-so or or he's uh you know talking to so-and-so and here's how he's writing the story and and this is what he did and and you learn that way you know you know you uh, like like most other jobs that, that you go into the office you you pay attention to what the veterans are doing and you learn and and I think that's been largely lost um, over the years, because there's so much remote working now, you, you know, you rarely go into the office and, and newspaper staffs now are so small that, you know, there, there might be 
you know, three, four sports writers in total. And, you know, the, the oldest one has maybe two or three years of experience. And, you know, not every paper is like that, but some of them do. And, and so you're, you're not seeing the younger guys get that seasoning uh, and, the, and that learning um, that, you, that you did before. And, and, you know, probably along a similar lines, uh, you know, I, I mentioned uh, Ben uh, earlier, and as I said, I, I, I like Ben. I think he's a good writer. I think he's going to do well for himself. But, you know, again, here's a guy, uh, a youngster coming in uh, to, to cover a team, um, and he doesn't see at all the veterans working a, a locker room either. Now, who knows? Maybe maybe Ben becomes better than all of us and works a locker room someday better than all of us. It's certainly a, a possibility. But, you know, I can again, uh, in, in my day, I can remember watching the guys from the New Orleans Times Picayune, the, the veteran writers there, work in the, the Saints locker room. Oh, this is who you talk to for this kind of story. This is the angle you take on, on this kind of story. Ah, okay, that, that makes sense now. And, and I think you become a, a better writer um, that way. And, and again, just simple learning, visual learning from, uh, you know, from watching your peers and, and your elders. I think that that has disappeared in terms of a locker room, uh, you know, for the, for the last couple of years. John, where can people find your byline and where can they find you on social media right now? On uh, social media, you can uh, check me out at Glennon Sports on uh, on Twitter is where I'll be find, found. Uh, and then uh, I'm working, um, you know, SI.com covering the Titans. And uh, I've, I've yet to really put this on my bio, but I should probably get it out there, too. I'm, I'm the uh, NHL.com uh, correspondent here in Nashville uh, as well. So be doing, a, a, you know, Predators coverage and then probably more of it um uh now as well since the uh, since the titan season is over so that's what i'm, say, uh, you're, I'm all over the place you can't miss me you're switching gears into a pretty fun team to cover right now it's it's true you know and i don't think any of us really would have guessed uh you know at least i wouldn't have guessed uh you know i i saw that the predators probably is more of a middling team and i'm not saying that they're an elite team and and uh you know on the verge of a you know, winning a cup, but they're certainly better than, than what I thought they would be. And, and they seem to be moving in the right direction too. And, you know, you've got a couple of huge events coming up here in about a month with, you know, Pecorino's retirement, uh, the, the Jersey going up and of course the outdoor game as well. So, yeah. And, and, you know, as we know, it's so, it's so funny. Um, you know, there's a lot of diehard hockey fans out there certainly, but then there's another group of, I think just kind of the general sports fans who say, okay, football season is over. It's now hockey season. And even though the hockey season has been going on for, you know, for a few months to them, this is when it begins. So, you know, I think it, it gets a little bit more lively on the hockey front now too. Yes. Ho- hockey onboarding season is the month of January. There's no question for that. Yeah. Uh, John Glennon, thank you so much for your time, man. We really appreciate it for giving us all the great coverage all season long. And of course, for hanging out with us today on the show. We do appreciate it. Thank you. Sure. Always enjoy it, guys. Appreciate it. That was John Glennon of Sports Illustrated covering the Tennessee Titans. And I I do think we've talked about this ad nauseum on the show with a lot of different people, but I think he did a really good job of sort of crystallizing and putting a fine point on, look, we we have an entire offseason where we want to create content and cover a team for our fans and, and the Titans listeners and readers out there. And generally, we have access to the people that matter the most to tell those stories, to dissect what happened, to to go into an offseason prepared and and able to to do the job and when you speak to AJ Brown and that is it on the offense and five or six really high quality guys but only a handful of guys on the defense and you get 20 minutes with the coach who doesn't really tell you anything 
how are you supposed to tell the story of the team after a really important loss going into another really important offseason? I, I just think that is a really bad situation for fans to be in because they're just not going to get a whole lot. I think I, I think you're seeing a reaction to this in in different areas of sports writing right now you see sort of the rise of sort of analytics journalism. You've seen this in hockey coverage in particular here over the last five to seven years. Uh, a lot of really smart people using so-called fancy stats in order to, in order to explain how the game is being played and in order to explain how your team is performing. It's, it's really interesting. Like if you look at like access in different leagues, like in the premier league, there is absolutely no access to players or, or coaches. Uh, and, and there's all of these sort of like weird, uh, there's all this, all these sort of weird blackouts for like Sunday papers and they'll do like a, they'll do like a press conference and then like stop the press conference after 30 minutes and be like, okay, this is only now is just embargoed quotes just for the Sunday guys. And it's, and, and it's very much like the sec. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, so what you've seen in response to it is this rise of, uh, of covering tactics and, and and strategy and analytics in really insightful ways because you don't have access anymore, and I, I wonder you're starting. I mean, you see some of that certainly in the NFL, and there's certainly some very smart people that are doing that. But I wonder how much, like over the long term, how much the beat writing is going to change into that simply because you're not going to be able to get to get the access to players, coaches, to personnel, to, to whatever. In, in ways that you've done in the past in order to be able to cover teams like you have in the, in the past. Yeah. It's, it's, it, listen, I, and we asked John in there, uh, you know, how do you make the case for the NFL to sort of realize that this could create a, a, a negative thing? And, you know, I personally have been on the air, uh, you know, and had things to say about the Titans. And if I just am out there speculating and just spewing what I'm, I think it might be an educated guess, but it's still sort of a guess. If I don't have the ability to talk to someone about the product and about what's going on in relationships and dynamics, and like you want to be accurate and tell the story accurately, but like you're left to being sort of shock jock, hot take guy, yeah. because there's nothing else left on the table for you to, to talk about. Like I would love to talk about pre-snap, how many times does Todd Downing versus Ryan Tannehill, what do they communicate about pre-snap and how do they see what they see? And let's, let's find out exactly what that process is like for them, recognizing defenses pre-snap. Well, we don't have anything to talk about with those two guys because we can't talk to Todd Downing and we can't talk to Ryan Tannehill. So we don't have any clue about who's in charge of X, Y, or Z or what play should have been checked out of and what play was a poor call and what, like, we don't have any idea. We're just out here guessing. And, and, I, and I will say this too is as long as they're going to as long as they're going to scrum coverage as long as they're going to make one person available to the the world as opposed to kind of one-on-one -on -one situations like we get like you would get in a locker room or like you could get you know at, at, after practice if we had more access to players then you're never going to get those sort of specific stories because they're really hard you can't conduct that interview with 20 other people I mean, you can only conduct that interview in a in a one on one in a one on one situation. If you don't have the access, you're never going to get those stories. And, and I am not talking about gotcha questions where I'm trying to like get somebody to say something, you know, in, inflammatory. I, I would love to sit down with Todd Downing for five just five minutes and be like, "Hey, through the course of your week, 
how do you guys plan, uh, you know, pre-snap adjustments against this particular front? Like, just give us an example of how you 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 install that throughout the course of the week. That that doesn't necessarily tell me it's right or wrong, but at least it tells me how it happens. Yeah. And then I have more information to then tell the audience, hey, this is what's taking place. Here's where it might have gone wrong. Here's where it was really good. Like, it's just, it's not, it doesn't have to be, you know, again, this gotcha inflammatory sensationalism. It can be just good, thoughtful, accurate storytelling. And, and hopefully that, hopefully that comes back at some point. I am not uh, optimistic about that, Steve. I think you're exactly right too, uh, that the, and, and this came up with Glennon, which is with more and more opinion being the norm, you're going to have, you're going to have sort of two things. You're going to have like the kind of film study stuff and you're going to have the opinion sort of stuff and the middle, which is really valuable ground is kind of slowly going away. And, and that, that to me is that, that to me is a real problem in, in, in the change of what's available in, in beat coverage. Yeah, there you have it. All right. Do you have a good recommendation this week for the folks, Steve? I have, an, I have an awesome recommendation. Oh, why? Oh my! Oh my! So, so first of all, we're in we're in a streaming era. Everybody binges their favorite stuff when it when it comes up. I need a word. I, I'm sure that the Germans have a word for this. For it's not FOMO because because you're binging something. But say you're watching something and you know that there are four seasons of content, and you're halfway through it, and you're like, and you can already you're already mourning the loss of this. <laughs> because because you're enjoying it so much that you realize I'm watching it so fast that in another week, this is going away because we stream stuff now. And because we binge stuff, instead of watching stuff episodically week to week, we compress the time on we can we compress the time on our favorite things to yeah. weeks and days as opposed to months and years. So so it's binge withdrawals. Is right. I mean, I had the, I had this like, for instance at the beginning of the pandemic, we, we've been justified, you know, halfway through it. And I, 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 I sort of calculated out. I was like, all right, we're watching like one to two episodes a night, you know, in three weeks, we're going to be done with justified. And I'm going to be bereft because this is like one of Raylan Givens is one of my favorite television characters ever. Okay. I'm having that feeling right now about this show that we're watching. It is called Shetland. It is a BBC police procedural set on the Island of Shetland, which is, um, which is between the North Scottish coast and uh, and Norway. It's in the middle of the North Sea. It is beautiful. For those of you, if you did you watch Broadchurch? Uh, I've seen episodes. Yeah. For, for those of you who like Broadchurch is too urban a setting, now you have Shetland. It is it is like the most rural kind of bucolic sort of setting. There, there's there's a, there's sort of a trope that like the opening. The opening uh, shot of every episode is a car on a winding road in the middle of nowhere. And, and that's what it is. It is it is one of the best British cop shows I've ever seen. It is stunningly beautiful to watch. You'll find yourself, if you like Yellowstone, for instance, for like watching the scenery in Yellowstone, the, the scenery here is, is very much a character in the show. And it is just fantastic. The actors uh, are wonderful. The Scottish accents are thick enough that we have to turn on closed captioning in order to <laughs> in, in order to be able to watch it. It is one of uh, is one of my favorite shows that that we've uh, that we've binged here in the last two or three years. It's fantastic. Um, good stuff there. My wife's actively looking for uh, some crime drama stuff, and we we're could, finishing finishing up Goliath right now. So that's kind of in that same 
you can find it on BritBox. I mean, I think a BritBox subscription is like, yeah, it's another subscription. It's like five ninety nine a month or something. Who doesn't like have BritBox? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so there you have it. Uh, I've got two real quickly, shamelessly, shamelessly. Uh, I think you guys should check out the Roar, uh, the blog from BetMGM. Uh, BetMGM.com has hired a bunch of folks to create content, and you might be able to read some stuff by me. On hey, the look Roar. at that. So go check out the world. There's a Tannehill piece up there. There's a AFC quarterback piece from Joe about Joe Burrow. I get to write about the Preds as well. So there'll be some Titans and Preds coverage up there on the Roar, which is a sports blog, of course, on uh, BetMGM's website. My, my other opposite 180 degrees from everything we've talked about on the show today, which is intelligent and smart and nuanced and thoughtful. Uh, I'm going to go with Are You the One on Netflix? <laughs> Because because we were in quarantine for like almost 20 days and we got through we, when we get into quarantine mentally, our, our state of mental health begins to decrease quickly and the, the, the claw marks on the walls start showing up. And so we immediately have to start watching mindless, just absolute smoke trash shows. television. Yes. Just gorgeous men and women scantily clad doing stupid things on a Hawaiian island uh, and then trying to figure out who's their match. And you can turn it into a logic problem. So then you feel smarter about yourself for watching this trash TV. And then you solve the problem before they do. And you really feel good about yourself because you're God. smarter than 20 reality show TV people that are obviously under the age of 25. It is. Listen, it's it's okay. way to set the bar high, man. It's OK. <laughs> it's better than love is blind is the next one that's coming out here pretty soon. We're probably going to be all over that. Too hot to handle is really bad, but are you the one? Not you know. You can turn it into a logic problem if you want to, and solve the problem. Turn it into like a you're actually solving it before they do, and then you feel good about yourself. So. Hey, remember when Netflix was like semi prestige TV, TV like <laughs> House of Cards? Watch, yeah. watch. Are you the one to feel better about yourself? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Uh, so go check out all that out. Thank you so much to John Glennon for hanging out with us. Steve, where can people find you? You can find me on the socials, uh, on Twitter and Instagram, at Scavendish. Braden, where can people find you? At Jaspers, because the parking is free, the food is great, the happy hours are wonderful, and the Preds are good at hockey. And, oh, by the way, we love watching the U.S. men's national team, so go to Jaspers, watch all the great events. You can follow me on Twitter, at Braden Gall. Tell me how much all of my opinions suck. I'm totally fine with that, that you took time out of your day to log on to that application to tell me I'm a moron. I enjoy it. Thank you, guys. Special thanks to John Glennon again for giving us so much of his time. For Steve, my name's Braden. Thank you all for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, share the product. That's all we ask. Go to Jaspers. This has been the Lamestream Sports Podcast here on the 440 Sports Network.